Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Um, the last hour on all headlines uh, here domestically. And so I want to highlight uh, a, a few international headlines before we bring Peter Kapsner on. And he and I are going to talk about what's going on in the United Methodist Church across the country and around the world. All right. So um, three quick headlines here that are um, international and then galactic. There you go. International and then galactic. First of all, we're going to lead off with India. Um, India's daily recorded deaths from COVID-19 have nearly tripled in the past three weeks. The um, official death toll passed 200,000 on Wednesday. The actual number is believed to be um, far higher than that, like like by multiples of that. Some experts think um, that, uh, that as many as a million people have already died. So mortality data in India... Um, was very poor even before the pandemic. Some people are accounted for and others are not. That's a part of the caste system. And many, many people are dying at home um, and their deaths often go unregistered. Um, and in the lowest caste, people aren't fully considered people and so aren't counted at all. And so let's be praying not only for um, the the issues related to health care and um, and all that is going on related to COVID in India, let's be praying that this be an opportunity for spiritual revival, that people would begin to see people as people, regardless of a historic caste system, and that they would recognize um, that the person who dies in in the street with no one um, even to care enough to account for them is no less precious to God um, than, than the person in the highest caste who also likewise dies. Um, this is an opportunity. There's an opportunity here about worldview and um, and spiritual revival. Okay, in terms of um, a headline from the New York Times today that uh, is, gosh, most troubling. The State Department has authorized U.S. embassies around the world to fly the pride flag. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has authorized U.S. diplomatic missions across the world to fly the rainbow pride flag on the same pole as the American flag at all U.S. embassies and consulates around the world. Um, And the action reversed a decision by the Trump administration, which rejected requests from embassies to raise uh, any flag other than the American flag on the flagpoles of U.S. embassies around the world. So um, anticipating that on May the 17th, which is the uh, International Day Against Homophobia and Transphobia, um, this was an act that... uh, our new Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, thought was um, important to take. <clears throat> uh, you could put that down as one of the things uh, America is currently exporting around the world. Now, this international headline is also an intergalactic headline. Here you go. Um, China has successfully launched the first module of its own planned space station. So Chinese astronauts have long been excluded from the International Space Station, Um 
Why? Well, because they're naughty. Um, not the astronauts, but China. And so China um, intends to have its own space station by the end of 2022. Won't be as large as the International Space Station, probably more like one-fifth the size of the ISS, similar to what you might remember as the Russian Mir space station, which operated from 1986 to 2001. Uh, Speaking of Russia, they um, say that they intend to leave the ISS project in 2025 with plans to build their own space station that could launch in 2030. All right, there you go. Those are some international and galactic headlines. Next up, Peter Kapsner, he and I are going to talk about what is going on in the United Methodist Church here in the United States of America and around the world. We'll be right back. He's a professor at the University of Northwestern, St. Paul, and all-around general good guy. Welcome back, man. That is a nice introduction. I, I don't get that one very often, Carmen. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. true. It's well. true. Um, okay, so I um, uh, I have a lot of headlines in front of me related to the United Methodist Church. Fill people in on um, on what is happening. Um, there is obviously a coming division. Um, maybe we could talk about why? And maybe we could talk about um, one example of uh, of one church in Atlanta that is um, poised to leave early. Yeah, there's been a tension going on for quite some time within the United Methodist Church that, that isn't unique to the United Methodist Church, but it, it's been kind of simmering beneath the surface, maybe postponed a bit because of COVID sort of shutting everything down and uh, shutting everything down and, and altering the landscape around us, right? But it was around 2016 that they we're sort of having this come to Jesus moment about what they were going to do with the ordination of gay or lesbian priests and ministers, transgender as well. And there was a pretty significant split within the denomination about how they wanted to move forward on that specific issue. And they held a vote. And I think you and I even talked about the vote a few years ago when, when it went down that the United Methodist Church said that we were not going to allow for the ordination of people within the LGBTQ Community, but that vote was primarily because uh, globally there there was a rejection of that idea from places like Africa and South America, Asia, uh, that is very different than than Europe and America in terms of its approach to these things. So, but it's still been sitting there, and and many within the leadership of the United Methodist Church continue to ordain gay and lesbian uh, bishops and and priests and ministers within the denomination. So it hasn't gone away. And they're scheduled for another vote. They're talking about having to split between more conservative strains of Methodism uh, versus strains that want to go ahead and and embrace this. And that vote's coming probably 2022 at this point. But I think, and there's so many things you and I could talk about related to this, but I think one of the most interesting parts of it was part of an article that you sent to me that when you look back at the history of the foundation of the United Methodist Church, John Wesley was the founder, and what he did, and it was, it was a pretty interesting move that he did, is that he kept the control of the buildings and the land related to the gathering of, of different churches. He kept that more centralized in, in terms of a church, an individual church doesn't own its own land or its building. And the reason why he did that is because if somebody wanted to split or to move away from the orthodoxy of scriptures related to their practice within the church, 
they were also then going to have to find their own building, their own land. They would lose all financial support in that. And it was sort of an interesting move. But the irony with this, Carmen, is that the leadership as it currently stands within the United Methodist Church would be far more sympathetic, if not outright, in favor of the ordination of gay and lesbian ministers. So if you wanted to actually split from the United Methodist Church and say, we don't embrace that kind of doctrine, you would lose your building and your land. And so it's just an incredible move in, in terms of a change in understanding the historic scriptural witness that Wesley would have uh, obviously not advocated for. So there's going to be a lot of tension coming here. Okay, so we have a prominent Atlanta area church leaving the denomination, um, really not over this, but I would say that the shuffling of pastors um, that happens uh, at the total discretion of bishops in the UMC um, is a part of this conversation about this church leaving in Atlanta. Um, Tim Tennant has a really excellent piece at timothytennant.com for those who want to understand um, this trust clause issue related to church property, because I think that for many people, that's what this ultimately comes down to. Um, Who owns all of the physical assets of a local congregation? Um, Right now, the denomination, the, the United Methodist Church, asserts that those are held in trust for them. Um, that uh, and so it's a it's a good piece. I encourage you to uh, to read it, it, particularly if you are in a United Methodist Church. You are going to be facing a vote in your local congregation. You are going to be facing a vote at the district level, um, and these are things you're going to want to know about. So the TimothyTenant.com piece on how the trust clause got turned on its head is really really good. It is. Um, Let's take a very brief break, Peter, and then when we come back, I want to ask the why question, and I want to use an article posted at religionnews.com to tee up the conversation about why this is happening and why it's happening now. Uh, And go ahead, brace yourselves, swallow your coffee uh, so that you don't spit it out. The first drag queen certified as a candidate for United Methodist Ministry, speaking in a new way to a new people. That is up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner is with me now, um, and we are going to talk about, uh, we're, we are going to attempt to talk about a subject that um, is very, very hard to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about worship, we're going to talk about what's supposed to happen in worship, and we're going to talk about what is happening um, under that heading in some places, in some churches across the country. So on, on April the 11th, at least some churches celebrated Drag Sunday. Um, they featured drag artists and um, drag music, readings, prayer. Um, and so Peter and I are both looking at an article at the Religion News Service, which is religionnews.com, first drag queen certified as candidate for United Methodist Ministry, speaking in a new way to a new people. Um, I think, Peter, that once we arrive at this point, it is not hard to see that people of um, of biblical faith would reject this and say that this is this is not what worship is. This is not who should be leading worship. This is not a representation of the gospel. Yeah, I, I think what's what's happening here. I think the most compelling and and telling quote of the article for me as I read through it was just a very short quote in which this candidate for a pastoral role, who, as you said, uh, also doubles as a drag queen. He is is a young gay man. 
he he said this phrase, these two words. He says it's twenty twenty one, and and that really caught my attention because mm-hmm. there is this underpinning that I think we could swim around in for quite some time in terms of talking about it. The assumption that somehow in twenty twenty one we are far more enlightened and and far more able to discern things in the kingdom than they would have in these archaic times like, oh, I don't know, 2005 or the first, you know, 2000 years of our faith. And this is the product of what has been going on for quite some time. And and especially over the last 15 years, I started noticing the pattern in academia where there got to be this drive to say that anytime we start talking about things like orthodoxy or anytime we start talking about things like maybe bending the arc of our life towards scripture. Maybe when we'd start talking about the fact that our life is not our own, it's been bought with a price and that, and that the good and peaceful and lovely shalom that we all desire comes through surrender and giving up your life, not trying to find it. Like all of that was beginning to be replaced by this notion that anytime somebody was suggesting a way to live your life outside of you, it was seen as oppressive. It was seen as a, as, as a structure of power that, that needed to be destroyed and so we've replaced this idea of what is true about the world, just essentially true about the world, that, and, and especially what is true about God's kingdom, and how do I surrender and bend my life to it? Because God is a good God, and that's where I find shalom. We, we've given up that idea to say, you know what? My freedom matters the most, and God is going to celebrate my freedom. And it's 2021. I can't believe we're even thinking about going back to those old-fashioned ways of thinking where really what this is about is celebrating you. And I just, I can't think of a better example of just, you know, the, the Romans 1 passage, right, where we begin to exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we, we worship the created instead of the creator. And I, I just think whatever else it's 2021 means is I really do think it's a fundamental shift away from giving your life towards something, towards the God of heaven has to celebrate whatever your life is and what you decided to be. And th- the scary part of this is this is a massive global denomination in, in which this is happening. Yeah, I mean, it's second only to the Southern Baptist Convention in terms of Protestant denominations right. in the United States of America. Um, so uh, if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, I, I'm United Methodist or I know some United Methodists, these are really important conversations for people to engage in. Um, and this piece that's posted at religionnews.com about um, this individual who represents himself as Miss Pentecost, which if you read that correctly— You can hear the word Pentecost in it, Miss Pentecost. Um, Miss Pentecost, which is this this individual, remember, this this young man is a candidate for ministry in the United Methodist Church. His name is Isaac Simons. He goes by Miss Pentecost in drag. Um, And uh, he he represents himself um, as uh, a 1960s church lady. That's the way he describes the character personified Mm. Um, when he is in drag. Um, And so there is this um, uh, stereotyping of of religious people, um, and it's notable that um, even in what he puts on, he is making fun of of things. So he often wears a red wig um, so that he can have his own tongues of fire coming to rest on himself uh, as if filled by the Holy Spirit speaking in a new language to new people. Um, it is a it is a conversation that um, we need to be having, even though it is an odd conversation to have. 
It is, an, and you're right. I, I In about 38 minutes from now, we're going to start my class on sexuality with my students, and there's going to be about 30 young people in the room. And this might sound odd to people like you and me in our generation, but this is where my young people are living. The, the, these are the issues with which they're wrestling. And I think the thing we talk about quite often in class, Carmen, is that we, we can't underestimate the, the spiritual realm and the fog that is being created. Like if Satan really is the father of all lies, then then probably how that's going to play itself out in our world around us is we're living within the fog of deceit all the time in a variety of ways, and especially the kind of deceit in which we assume we're walking towards freedom, like this young person is, and, and thinking that I finally get to express myself, and, and I'm kind of having fun or poking fun at the church, as you described. I think we're finally walking towards freedom, and I can't think of a more profound strategy to steal, kill, and destroy, to use the language of John 10.10, 10, is to create the fog of deceit in which you think you're actually walking towards wholeness and freedom and delight, and you're actually walking towards those things that are bringing destruction to the soul in the long run, right? And mm-hmm. so how do we become people that can sort of shake ourselves off of the fog of deceit? By, by How do we become the children of light that are shining the truth? What are the reliable means? Well, probably not leaning into it's 2021 as a viable option. We, we to, to equip our young people, to equip all of us, right, to have these conversations and to see what is true is so critical moving forward. Um, For those of you who want some more resources on this, the Good News uh, Movement in the United Methodist Church is absolutely where I would uh, direct you. Um, Good friends over there, some of whom have appeared with us, and we look forward to talking with them in the future as well. Um, You can also find good resources at um, the IRD, which is the Institute for Religion and Democracy, on their Juicy Ecumenism website. Mm. (laughs) JuicyEcumenism.com. There you go. All right. uh, Peter Kapsner, as always, thank you so much. Blessings on your day. Yeah, you too, Carmen. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll be right back. All right. Chip Ingram joins me next. You know him from Living on the Edge. He is going to talk about his latest book, You Can Change. We'll be right back. This is Max Licata. Joshua 21:45 says, Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Joshua and his men went from dry land to the promised land, from manna to feasts, from arid deserts to fertile fields. They inherited their inheritance, the glory days of Israel. This is God's vision for your life. You at full throttle. You as victor over the Jerichos and giants. Paul describes it as a life in which Christ's love has the first and last word in everything we do. A life in which Paul says we do not lose heart. A life defined by grace, refined by challenge, and aligned with a heavenly call. In God's plan, in God's land, God's promises outweigh personal problems and victory becomes a way of life. Your glory days await you. This is Max Lucado. It's like the brightest sunrise waiting on the other side of the darkest night. Don't ever lose hope. Hold on. What fun to have with us today, our colleague Chip Ingram. You know him from Living on the Edge. Chip, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Great to be with you, Carmen. Thanks so much. We're going to talk today about your brand new book, Yes, You Can Really Change. The subhead is intriguing, right? What to do when you're spiritually stuck. Talk about 
spiritual stuckness? Well, I think we all get spiritually stuck. That's not like someone that has necessarily a big problem. Uh, when you think of what's happened with COVID, isolation, anxiety, fear, uh, health issues, in drastic cases, people have lost loved ones, uh, not being able to gather together with fellow believers. Uh, all those things uh, really help us get stuck. And then there's just the normal reasons that, you know, we get stuck. We get on that performance trap, like, okay, I'm reading my Bible, or, oh gosh, I haven't been reading very much, or my prayers get kind of shallow, or I just call it spiritual malnutrition. There's times where even because we're serving and caring and busy, and we just say, well, you know, I'm going to get back to all that. And then what you realize is we feel distant from God. Our prayers seem sort of like I'm not hearing God's voice. And then I think there's just other times where trauma and just the lack of variety. Mm. You can just eat steak every day and your best meal on a salad, but you have it like eight, 10. You know, I think some people it's like, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to read through the Bible in a year and I'm sick and tired of, I don't feel like God's really speaking to me or I'm doing the same thing over and over and over. And just getting it done has replaced that intimacy and that hearing God's voice and that joy. And then we start wondering, so what's wrong with me and what's going on? And, and, and honestly, the last and maybe most challenging way we get stuck is under pressure. I think we begin to subtly drift and compromise. And then we begin to maybe some old habits came back during COVID or we created some new Netflix habits or eating habits or um, some things that we really feel like, wow, I'm not where I need to be physically or mentally or spiritually and I need a breakthrough. So uh, I, I want people to know, I think all those things are normal, but we don't want to let them go. Yeah, we don't want to stay stuck where we know we are. Right. Like we know we're in a bad place. We don't want to stay there. Talk about um, Ephesians 4 as God's remedy. Well, the first three chapters of Ephesians are, this is who you are in Christ. This is what he's done. You've been redeemed. Mm. You have a new inheritance. And, and chapter 4 opens up with now, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In other words, let your, your belief and your behavior tell the same story. And this is the chapter that explains how does spiritual growth really happen. It, it starts with it happens in the special loving environment where you're a body. And then it happens next where there's power, unlimited power, resurrection power. And then there's this role of, of teachers and discovering your gifts. And then he goes on and talks about there's this private world where you put off the old, renew your mind, and put on the new. And then it ends with, here are five specific areas of putting on the new where you go into spiritual training. And over time, here's the goal. You get to know God more deeply and better. And through this process, you become more and more like Jesus. So see, I think that that intimacy part, that as I learn more about who God is, as I'm drawn closer and closer to God, the transformation happens. And that makes this less like a to-do list. Like, and so I want people to hear that, and I want you to talk about the power out of which this happens. The book is, Yes, You Really Can Change, What to Do When You're Spiritually Stuck, brand new from Chip Ingram. So Chip, talk a little bit about where the power comes from. Who who supplies the power for the kind of change that I'm seeking in my life? Well, it's, it's really interesting that uh, I think when most of us came to know Christ or even part of our Christian culture, we hear a lot of what we need to do. 
and, and, and please, I don't want people to hear like these are unimportant. They're just in the wrong order. What you need to do, read the Bible. What you need to do, pray. What you need to do, go to church. What you need to do is serve. And I think there's many, many believers that have internal issues like I feel lonely, I feel insecure, I have unresolved anger, I have lust, I have greed, I compare myself with people, and I'm doing all those things, and those things don't get touched. And it's interesting in Ephesians, the very first thing he says about living this new life is that it's in the context of very deep, intimate, authentic community where the body of Christ with all all humility and gentleness and patience bearing with one another. And then in verses 7 through 10, he says, so where do you get the power to be patient with someone? Where do you get the power to put their needs ahead of your own? Where do you get the power to put up with the idiosyncrasies of people that make you crazy that maybe they're in your family or you're married to them? I mean, that's the calling. And he says in verses 7 through 10, where you get the power is that Jesus actually, after he was crucified, went into the lower parts of the earth and declared victory over death, over sin, over demonic forces. And then he burst forth in resurrection power. And it says he gave gifts to men that he deposited in you spiritual gifts, not just to build up the body, which is important, but to remind you that the power for life change is the resurrection power that you have. And so instead of do, 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 it's allow me to help you become. God's agenda is that I become a more loving husband, that I become kind and patient, that I become a better dad, but not by trying really hard to be just that person, but by allowing the Spirit of God, by the Word of God in the context of deep relationships with other believers, transform me from the inside out. And so, you know, we say this, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Well, Mm. it does. It's really true. This book is about how in the world do you tap it? (laughs) I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's like having a generator and the lights go out and you say, Hey, I got a generator and I got plenty of gas. Where do you plug it in? Uh, people long, I think they're sincere. I want to change. I've tried really, really hard, and it's really not working a lot. And I don't think they understand God's process and plan that he lays out in Ephesians 4. All right. It's the same uh, It's the same God, the same Lord, the same word spoken to Zerubbabel, right? Not by might, right. not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Chip Ingram and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. The book is, yes, you really can change. We'll be right back. I've been changed. Continuing my conversation now with Chip Ingram. You know him as the host of Living on the Edge. He's here talking with us today about his brand new book, Yes, You Can Really Change What to Do When You're Spiritually Stuck. Chip, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about that resurrection power that, you know, we're invited to tap into because that leads to the promise of lasting change. It's it's one thing to change for a moment. It's another thing to be changed and have that be something that's, you know, settled and is lasting. Talk about that. Well, I think it's back to what you said. It really grows out of intimacy. The fact of the matter is um, we become like who we hang around. Those of us that are parents, we, we've seen some of our kids start hanging around with a different group and, and they're coming home with a little attitude, right? And, you know, where mm-hmm. are you picking that up? And what you realize is uh, whoever you hang around, you become like. 
And I think the Lord would have us say, what I'd really love to do is have you hang around with me. And I'd like my spirit through my word and, and my people, not, not just the activities of I go to church or I went to the group, but where there's an authentic coming before God and doing life in community where you experience my power. And I, I think a lot of believers actually have sort of a, a number of boxes. Went to church, check box, read the Bible a couple times this week, check box. I'm not praying too long or too deeply, but I'm sure God understands I'm really busy. Um, yeah, we gave, and two years ago, we went on a, uh, we went on a missions trip. I mean, therefore, God make my life work out. And I think the subtlety is that we have missed that the big agenda is not that Jesus is going to come to make me happy and give me this an amazing marriage or singleness, my kids be upwardly mobile, and I never have any problems. And if I just do, you know, A, B, and C in the Christian life, then that's sort of the, that's what I'll get. When in fact, the real agenda is that he's using the ups and downs and COVID and the heartbreaks and the joys to conform us to the image of his son. I mean, I mean, Ephesians 4 is God's blueprint for this is how change occurs. But the, the goal is to make us like Jesus. And I think somehow we've shifted this to, uh, I want Jesus to help me fulfill my agenda. And we get it backwards. And, and so, you know, I think often what we think is God has abandoned me. I'm lonely. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. Things aren't working out is really the, the, the velvet vice of his grace saying, I allowed those things so you would be dependent and not live independent of me. And you would come to me and ask for help. Uh, Psalm 86.5 in the New Living Translation is just one of those verses that, especially during this pandemic year, it says, oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love to everyone who calls for you, calls upon you for help. And just this thought of God's arms opened and that the invitation is not, I've got to get my life together and, oh, I should read more and I feel guilty and I feel condemned. It's, oh God, you are so good. And he longs to draw us near. And this book is about how do you experience that and tap into that power as you renew your mind, tap into that power as you get those promptings to why don't you go across the street or I want you to call so-and-so or this may sound crazy, but those people can't get out during this pandemic. I, I want you to just go over and offer to. And as we start to, to give away the life that God's put in us, it's amazing how he fills us with his love. Chip, I think that there's some people listening right now who are saying, OK, well, good. At least they're at the end. Right. He gave me a to do list. <laughs> which is not at all what this conversation is about. So can you right. revisit the part of this conversation that it's not about checking off a list? This is about my view of God or my posture toward God or how I relate to God. I feel like what you are seeking to have us see and embrace and live into in Yes, You Really Can Change. And here's the challenge. There, there is always some things to do, mm -hmm. but— the to-dos were only designed to help us to develop our to-be. And maybe the best way to answer this was I, uh, you know, I was a overachieving workaholic prior to becoming a Christian. Then I became a Christian and it, it took a while, but then I realized, oh, 
the people that people really admire is man. So I memorized hundreds of verses. I went to Bible study. I had met one-on-one time. I became a Christian workaholic and in the process mm. became an absolute self-righteous jerk. And the joy that I had early in my Christian life evaporated. I, it, it, I was like on a two-year journey in Galatians of I am loved and accepted just for me apart from nothing that I could do to earn God's favor. Uh, I was 28 years old. Uh, it was a brown bag lunch with Howard Hendricks, me and 12 other guys. And we're sitting around and he gets up and he says, look, guys, you're a bunch of driven, high capacity, want to change the world guys. Just lean back. I want you to know at this moment right now, God will never love you more than he loves you right now. And then he said, let that sink in. Now, you, you, you may lose some blessing if, if you're disobedient, but it doesn't change his love. He said, now, guys, what life is really about, once you get that, is that how do you say thank you with your life? How do you really get to know him? That's God's heart. And I remember uh, he wrote these you know, words, four words, I never forget, on a, on a whiteboard, and objective, who do you really want to be, priorities, how badly do you want it, schedule, where does it show up, and then discipline, are you willing to pay the price to become who you believe God wants you to be. And I drove uh, from that meeting. I lived out in um, about 30 miles from the seminary and was pastoring a little church and just finishing my last year, uh, coming in a couple days a week. And I stopped at the Crandall Dairy Queen and something happened. It's what you're trying to get to. Something happened in my soul. There was 35 people in this little church and I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm trying to please mm -hmm. everyone. I'm, you know, and so I remember I stopped at that little Crandall Dairy Queen and I got a napkin and I thought, what if I made a to be list instead of a to do list? And I literally on a napkin wrote, I, I thought, well, who do I really want to be? And, and I, I wrestled as I want to be a great man of God from God's perspective, not people's, that God would say, you're a son who knows me, who wants to please me, and you care, and you, your, your heart is attentive to me, and I have all of you. And then I wrote, I want to be a great husband. And then I wrote, I want to be a great dad. And then I thought, well, I could be an okay pastor, a good pastor, a great one. I want to be a great pastor. And then finally I said, I want to be a great friend. And, and then I remember what Prof said, and then I, I went through my calendar, and I put in the kind of to-do activities that would foster that kind of intimacy in those relationships. And then I looked at it and I thought, gosh, I filled up my whole week and I haven't even started on my to-do list. And what, what happened was I, I thought, well, if I fulfill all my to-dos and I'm still the same insecure, often lusting, greedy, comparing myself with others, competitive person, what have I really accomplished? And if God really loves me, I need to learn to love him and love people. And I wrote that down, and then I wrote on a few cards those few little things. And I, okay, well, I'm going to spend my morning with God, get up earlier, and I'm going to have a date once a week. So it, I, I translated into some real specific to-dos, but not like, let's see, if I have a date every week, I'm a good husband. No, it was, mm -hmm. I want to make time. And I did that when I was 28, and all I can tell you is what really changed was who I became. And when the who changes, who you actually are, that person is different from a year ago or five years ago who walks into a meeting or listens to someone who's hurting, or in my case, who's preparing a message or who has to make a big decision. And when you take care of the to be as your highest priority, 
if that becomes your goal, the lens through which you look at everything in life completely changes. And what you realize very quickly is you can't do it. I can't do it. I, I can't be the husband that you want me to be. And there's this level of desperate dependency that's far different than I read my two chapters. I did this thing. I, I'm going to go to the Bible study. And here, here's I wrote this in my journal. And I wish it, it would have been written like, you know, 30 years ago when I was so immature. But this was just a few years ago. Father, I am so sorry because even after all these years, I think I spend at times as much energy trying to look humble and to look mm. loving than actually be humble and be loving. And, and I think that's the crucible. And, you know, I just repented yet again. It's not about trying harder and performing. It's about how do I let Christ live his life through me? How do I live in intimacy and dependency in the context of community where his word renews my mind? And for those listening, you don't have to log on to porn for pseudo intimacy. You don't have to go shopping or to the refrigerator when you feel blue and down. Uh, you don't have to try and impress everyone with how much you're doing and what a wonderful mom or super person you are. We actually can be free. In fact, we are. Absolutely. The book is Yes, You Really Can Change. What to Do When You're Spiritually Stuck. Chip Ingram is the author. You can find him at livingontheedge.org. And obviously you can listen to Living on the Edge right here on the Faith Radio Network. A shout out to the Dairy Queen in Crandall, Texas. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today, Chip. What a joy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll be right back. didn't say it, but it's true. We are giving away copies of Chip Ingram's brand new book. And so, yes, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies of Yes, You Really Can Change that we have uh, here from our friends at Moody, uh, Moody Publishing. So text the word book to 877-933-2484 if you would like uh, to enter the drawing for the copies of Chip Ingram's new book that we have on hand here in studio. Sorry that I failed to say that um, during our conversation. Okay, so we have a couple of minutes left here at uh, at the close of the hour. And I want to um, encourage you, because I haven't done so yet today, to be in the Word of God before you get out there into the world that He so loves. So here's one thing I am, um, I'm certain of about today. Something is going to happen that you do not anticipate. Uh, it may, you may regard it as something good. You may regard it as something bad. Uh, it will happen, though. Something will happen today that is, at this point in the day, unknown to you. And you may anticipate that, you know, things change because that is just the reality of the world we live in, Um, but they do change moment by moment. And so how you and I respond in those moments as resilient disciples is the living witness of Christ in the world today. Like the living witness of Christ in the world today are his people, you and I filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to respond 
um, in in the warp and woof of changing circumstances in ways that honor Jesus. So let us anticipate that things are going to happen today that we have not scheduled or planned. They are not outside of God's knowledge. Um, They are not outside of God's influence. Um, And so you and I, in the midst of changing circumstances and realities of life, are called to be resilient. And we are called to respond in ways that reflect that we are full of the grace and truth um, of, of Christ. And so Christ came full of grace and truth. Let us go forth into the world that he so loves, also full of grace and truth. Um, and let us do so recognizing that we are today the living demonstrations of the gospel to others. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.